after I identified the top, I realized what I'd really done. I'd identified the bottom. That's the base. That's the foundation upon which you can build any kind of career, whether it's in education, athletics, business, medicine, law, accounting, computers, or whatever. I believe these are principles that will make a difference. Welcome to The Ziegler Show, where we inspire your true performance. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and in this show, we hear a message from Zig Ziegler on what it means to not only get to the top, but go over the top. This is a significant charge from Zig that comes from a meaningful personal experience in his life. It's a heart and paradigm change on the view of success. From it, he gave us a list of 15 ideals that he believes are signs of being over the top. I took all 15 points and posted them on Facebook. Then asked folks, where is your Achilles heel in essence? Below are 15 points from Zig Ziglar. I'm sure many of you like me are doing well in many of these areas, but I'm asking which of the 15 do you feel you struggle with most? Don't take too long. Try to answer with your gut reaction. Well, a lot of people posted and Tom Ziegler and I talked through all the responses and we started off sharing our own Achilles heels amongst the 15. I think you'll be surprised to hear what Tom's is. So we'll start off with Zig's message and him going over these 15 ideals right after I share some great resources with you. I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon, Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous and I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill Distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. All right, then, folks, here is Zig Ziglar and what it means to be over the top. You're at the top when you clearly understand that failure is an event, not a person. That yesterday ended last night, and today is your brand new day. You've made friends with your past, are focused on the present, and optimistic about the future. You're at the top when you know that success, a win, doesn't make you, and failure, a loss, doesn't break you. When you're filled with faith, hope, and love, and live without anger, greed, guilt, envy, or thoughts of revenge. You're at the top when you're mature enough to delay gratification and shift your focus from your rights to your responsibilities. You're at the top when you know that fated to stand for what is morally right is the prelude to being the victim of what is criminally wrong. You're at the top when you're secure in who you are, so you are at peace with God and in fellowship with man. 
You're at the top when you've made friends of your adversaries and have gained the love and respect of those who know you best. When you understand that others can give you pleasure, but genuine happiness comes when you do things for others. You're at the top when you're pleasant to the grouch, courteous to the rude, and generous to the needy. You're at the top when you love the unlovable, give hope to the hopeless, friendship to the friendless, and encouragement to the discouraged. You're at the top when you can look back in forgiveness, forward in hope, down in compassion, and up with gratitude. You're at the top when you know that he who would be the greatest among you must become the servant of all. You're at the top when you recognize, confess, develop, and use your God-given physical, mental, and spiritual abilities to the glory of God and for the benefit of mankind. You're at the top when you stand in front of the creator of the universe and he says to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. After I identified the top, I realized what I'd really done. I'd identified the bottom. That's the base. That's the foundation upon which you can build any kind of career, whether it's in education, athletics, business, medicine, law, accounting, computers, or whatever. I believe these are principles that will make a difference. Well, there you go, friends. I'd encourage you to listen to those 15 points again. I'd actually give that more importance than listening to the rest of this show. Though hearing people's responses is really insightful. Again, the question I asked people as a response to this message was, where is your Achilles heel? Uh, On these 15 points from Zig Ziglar, where do you feel you struggle the most? Well, here then Tom Ziglar and I start off by sharing our own Achilles heels and then read through a list of others who commented as well. All right. Well, Tom, I, I know that you know this content well. You're over the top when, and uh, who knows how many times you heard your dad recite those 15 incredibly profound points. So as I started, you know, off asking everybody on Facebook where they're, where they struggle the most, I said, your Achilles heel, but the one that is the biggest trial for you. And I shared my, my, my own and it was, I will, we'll talk about it. Well, you know, I'll, I'll talk about, I'll read through that because a lot of people responded to that one as well, but I thought I'd start off here and ask you for you out of those 15, where's the one that you struggle with most? Well, Kevin, that's an easy one for me. Uh, it's part of my morning two chairs time, and that's number two. And that one says, you've made friends with your past, are focused on the present, and optimistic about your future. Mm-hmm. And I have to tell you, I struggle with the reality that I don't have any control of the future. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we 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 take something and then we we project into the future and usually it can get negative really quick, right? Like what if this happens? What if that happens? What if that sale doesn't go through? What if that project hits a bump? What if this doesn't happen on time? And it's real clear that we need to be focused on the present and you can't focus on the present if you have doubts about the future. And so just a little bit of insight to dad, this was probably uh, of all his gifts, what I envied the most was his ability not to worry at all about the future. So that's why he said, be optimistic about your future. 
because here's what dad would do. He would identify a problem and there's nothing negative with identifying a problem. And then he would get solution focused and solution focused is all present. You know what I can do right now. He wouldn't worry at all about if it didn't work or did work, what would be the consequences of it. He would analyze the problem, identify it, then line his solutions out and then get busy working at it. And I have to tell you, that probably kills more distraction time for me than anything else is playing the what if game. So that is a big reminder to me to focus on the solution and be optimistic about the future because it doesn't do you any good to be anything other than that. Well, and, and, you know, with all these, is anybody completely at peace, completely arrived in any of these 15? Probably not. And yeah, when you talk about that, I think of so many, so many times when I am, I'm, I'm thinking about Zig and thinking about not worrying amongst the fact that I'm, I'm worrying a little bit and trying to grapple with that, which I think, of course we get credit for that for grappling, but, uh, that's a big one. We've got some people that cited that one as well. I really just went with my gut as I looked at that. And I was the first one to comment. I said, I'd lead off and I let off at number seven, you're secure in who you are. So you are at peace with God and in fellowship with man. And that's where a lot of my own two chairs time in the morning. And folks, you don't know who that is, what that is. Two chairs. That's a book by one of Tom's closest friends, Bob Bodine. We've had him on the show twice. You can find him if you search there in iTunes, uh, but an incredible one of two chairs, one for you, one for God and taking your issues, your, your needs, everything, taking that to God and then listening. So go listen to that. Check that book out. But you know, my, my issue there being at peace with God, I mean, that sounds hard to say, or sounds bad to say that, that I'm not, but I often am going it my, I'm going it alone, even with a vision that I feel like this is of God that I believe in, I'm confident in, I tend to take off alone. And in that, then I am, I find myself turning around as an analogy and saying, God, where are you in this? And it's because I went my own way. And so that grappling of peace and, and from that, then security in myself, because I'm not secure in myself. And I don't think I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to be secure in myself as, as I, as I father, as I follow my King, um, that's, that's, that's an Achilles heel. I think that's why I put it there. It's an Achilles heel. I wouldn't say it's a failure of mine. It's a consistent issue. Um, though it's, so I, I posted that on there. Wesley Wiley said, me too. Uh, I need greater confidence in the value I have to offer. It would do wonders for my business. And Wendy says, um, I struggle with that as well. I need to let go and let God. And that statement right there, Tom is a struggle for me, letting go and letting God. Cause I'm not, I'm not a patient wait, waiting person. Um, <laughs> I've had a lot of discussions with, with, uh, Bob Bodine, uh, you know, about two chairs time. And yeah. so, so here's the goal. The goal is, is you just sit down and you have this conversation with God and you say, look, here's the problem. Are you aware of it? Of course he is. He's God. Are you big enough to handle it? Yep. Okay. God, what's the plan? Mm-hmm. And so what we do in our self-sufficiency is we develop the plan and then we leave the room. And in my picture, I kind of smile that it's like, God's there going, Hey, Hey, you want me to go with you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's yeah. a metaphor, but I think, I think I'm the same way. We, yeah. we hatch our plan. We get insight. We pray about it. Uh, we get wisdom and then we think we can do it on our own when, why do we have to? Yeah. 
Yeah, man, that's, that's all these are huge. I can't say any one is over the other. Well, Winnie here says number 15 is where she struggles. And that one says you stand in front of the creator of the universe. And he says to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. She says, I know this, uh, or she said, this is my most, this is my most precious desire, but I'm afraid I will get to heaven. And he will say, yeah, good, but not great. You missed what I desired for your life. You wasted it. She said, I work daily to never hear that from God, but yet feel so far away from what he wants me to be. I want to be the best he planned for me, but I don't know what that is. Not even at 40 years old. And Tom, that's one that I have grappled with. Do I believe like that? Do I believe God has a plan for me? Yes. Do I believe he can, he can work good out of all things in my life as I am called according to his will? Yes. Do I also have experience that I have a great capability of messing things up? Well, yeah, I can't deny that either. And so to grapple with standing in front, did I, did I really make the best choices that I do the best that I could? Um, but then you get into grace. Will he, regardless in my efforts say, well done thou good and faithful servant. Uh, I, I don't know a lot of people who don't at the back of their mind, somewhat grapple with that one. Yeah. You know, I read an article today, uh, that's perfect for this. It's actually a blog and I'm going to give the, uh, the website it's called the gathering. Mm. So the gathering.com. And Fred Smith Jr. actually wrote uh, the article. So if you go to thegathering.com, look up uh, the blog, Fred's blog. The title of the one is called The Soil of Partial Truth. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> and what he's talking about here is that when we, let's look at our Christian songs and hymns, right? all the modern ones, they're all positive. They're all upbeat, right? Mm -hmm. It's about encouragement and hope and victory and overcoming and, you know, living this victorious life. But when you read the scripture, man, there's a lot of sorrow and suffering and self-loathing in the Psalms, doubt, fear, uncertainty. And so what he's pointing out is the soil of partial truth is not that God wants us perfect. He knows we can't be. He's already accepted us. He's already given us grace and mercy. <laughs> what he wants is all of us, right? He, he wants our whole relationship to focus on him. When we're happy, when we're sad, when we're disappointed, when we don't do what we know we should, do we, do, you know, and, and so I think because we have this expectation of we got to be perfect, we then place in, well, what if, what if I disappoint? And I, th and I think for me, it's getting to the root of what God wants. Mm -hmm. He wants all of us just as we are. And that's, that's a hard one. You know, dad had this uh, story and he, he, he traveled a lot and mom was out of town when he was traveling and he put his uh, clothes in the trunk of the car and he forgot about them and he had had to change the tire and the tire jack had gotten loose and it had gotten all over the clothes. Oh no. And so he takes the clothes into the cleaners and he's, he's like, I need to go home and wash these first. I'm so sorry. I've never brought clothes this dirty to you before. And the cleaners looked at him and they said, Mr. Ziegler, that's our job. 
we take your clothes just as you are and we bring them back clean and new and wow. ready. And I think that's the challenge that we live in is we're always trying to clean our clothes when that's not the role we're supposed to play. We're just supposed to bring them. Goodness. Yeah. And so I think that sets us up for that, that wrong first meeting. It's going to be overwhelming and, and merciful and, and grace filled. And, and, and I think, I think we're going to be surprised of who's there and who's not. And a lot of people with the dirtiest clothes who weren't afraid to share at all uh, are going to be the ones standing next to us. And, and so I think, I think there's a lot of hope in that, um, that we can come as we are and that'll change that meeting. So the question is, uh, not how dirty they are, but how much are you willing to show today? That is a dramatic paradigm shift. And I can't imagine, well, I'll speak for myself. That speaks to me. Yeah. How often am I trying to clean my, clean up my own clothes for the cleaner? And as you said, that is not my job. All right. I'm done. I'm, I'm done. That's enough for me. I, I'm going to take that and go. You got <laughs> that's we can stop there, but we won't because we got some great posts here. Frankie uh, here says number 14 seemed to jump out more than the others for me. I think I'm capable of much more than what I'm currently doing. Well, 14 folks reads you recognize, confess, develop, and use your God given physical, mental, and spiritual abilities to the glory of God and for the benefit of mankind. Uh, that's man. That's a cultural issue right there. We have more and more people these days stats say and testimonies say who don't feel that they are working necessarily within their God given physical, mental, spiritual abilities. Um, and man, I know that you've got so many stories, Tom, of people who have been in that place and then have had the opportunity, uh, through Ziegler, through what you guys do, uh, to find opportunity to understand first off. I mean, heck, and we're saying find opportunity. So many people still haven't gotten to that point of understanding totally. What are their gifts, their talents, their abilities? And, uh, then further, the opportunity to work within those day in and day out. And as you and I have been uh, so blessed to be able to do that, it's, it's a significant thing, but that is a, that's a cultural issue right now. Yes, it is. And, and there are, uh, you know, dad had a definition of success. He said, success is the maximum utilization of the abilities that God gave you. Mm. And it reminds me of the parable of the talents. I mean, Kevin, I'll just put you in the story. You know, the master gives you talents, right? And goes out of town and comes back. And then when he comes back, the first thing he says is, hey, Kevin, what did you do with the talents I gave Terry? Mm-hmm. No, he he didn't ask you that. Mm-hmm. It was just the talents he gave you. Oh. And I think that's number one is we've got to recognize the source of our talents, that's God. And then we got to recognize what he gave us. And we're all unique and different. And we're the only combination of gifts and talents in the universe ever with our name on it. I mean, so many people are, they get focused on creating a gift, you know, developing a gift or a talent. That's not really a gift or their gift or talent. And they get frustrated. You know, why can't I be like so-and-so? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's the first one is identify your gifts and talents. And second is work on them with grit. Just work on them with grit. And that's what, that's where the world changers are. 
is they see that they've got this unique perspective, this unique gift, and it can be in science, it can be in art, it can be with people, it can be alone, it doesn't matter. We're all different. They work on it with grit. They polish it 10,000 hours, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And then they go and give it away. Well, I, I'm going to, or you you weren't finished, go. Yeah, that's it. So, well, I want to piggyback on that because that, you know, that aspect of understanding your talents, your giftings, your abilities, uh, your God given, I, I must admit, I, I see that as a responsibility that we all have to figure those out. And then once you have, I think, again, we've got this perception culture that it's the lucky who get to actually work within those. And I'm brought back to one of my favorite quotes by Zig Ziglar. If you have a, a, uh, a product or service, you know, that can help people, it's your moral obligation to sell it. In that same way, when you, once you realize some of your giftings, talents, abilities, uh, it is your moral obligation to figure out how you can work within there, within those, because that is where your glory is. So if, if, if anybody's listening to the day and you've chalked that up to it's the lucky that get to work in there, and maybe it's even a luxury to work within those things that you are gifted at, that you do enjoy that, uh, it's not for the lucky. I think that's your responsibility. Maybe that'll free some folks to say, Hey, that's not, that's not, a, that's not a luxury. That is a responsibility and you get to go after it. Um, well, Hey, Eric here, he actually has two. He says number two, which is you've made friends with your past are focused on the present and optimistic about the future. He said, that's a hard one. He says, I have lived a past filled with things I would never dream of doing today. And my past haunts me to a certain extent. I try hard to make peace and in making progress with that. And then regarding number five, which says you're mature enough to delay gratification and shift your focus from your rights to your responsibilities. He says, I have been falling short on delaying gratification for some reason. I'm usually really good at it. I even have my self-talk cards printed out and everything, but I find myself not having the motivation to read them. I'm climbing out of a bit of a rut, I guess. I know I will get out of the rut, especially since I have the help of the Ziegler team. You know what? I didn't read that part. This is Eric. His last name. It's, it's, is it Carmadell? Carmadelli? Um, yeah. Okay. Well, you know, this guy then. All right. So here's the thing is, gosh, we all get in a rut. And I think that's when we go back to why. Mm-hmm. And that takes a little bit of thinking, you know, it, it takes, uh, whatever your cool, refreshing or hot, refreshing beverage of choices, a quiet spot, it really requires saying, okay, why, you know, what's my, why, what's my big dream? What's, what is it that I want to accomplish? Because there's got to be alignment between your, why your gifts and talents, your purpose and what you do every day. Hmm. If what we do every day doesn't, doesn't get us closer to our, why our dream, our gifts and talents, our purpose, then it's hard to stay on track. Uh, And that's, one of the main themes of, of the book I have coming out next year called Choose to Win. Uh, transform your life one simple choice at a time. And it's simple. It's not easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the simple thing is, you know, the hard thing. What's mm-hmm. my why? And then what are the choices I can make right now that will get me closer to it? Um, you know what? Do you, have you ever met anybody, Kevin, who hadn't been in a rut at some point? No, no, no. And so we you, get in. You a, know what? You know what? I'll, I say that. Um, 
sometimes people who have not endeavored for much seem to stay more so out of ruts than those who are really trying to make things happen. I will say that there are some folks that's not to, not to be negative towards anyone, but I have seen people who are really not their, their, their effort is, is comfort and coasting. And, um, they're not, if they're not aspiring, I think maybe you can stay out of, stay out of a rut, stay out of, out of the, some of the hardship with no, with no aspiration. That sounds kind of harsh, but, um, sure. We can all choose safety and not risk much, but there's nobody listening to this show right now who falls into that category. So I, for this show, there's nobody in this show. I bet that hasn't known some big ruts. Yeah. And, and so what do you do? Um, I think it's, you just, you have the, the escape plan created before you go into the rut so that as soon as you go, wait a second, I'm in a rut. You already know what to, you know what to do. Mm-hmm. Right. You've got the plan to get out and it goes back to why it goes back to, okay, what are the, what's the sequence of choices I can make or what are some behaviors or some habits that I can create that's going to help me break the rut? Friends, I'm pretty candid about my lack of financial prowess. Money and numbers are fairly Greek to me, so I need a lot of guidance. One of my closest friends is a wildly successful wealth manager, and I'm working on some financial literacy and just continually seeking guidance. So I ask you to check out yahoofinance.com. Nobody knows it all on Yahoo Finance is an incredible resource for the rookies like me or the seasoned investors. You know, before my dad passed away recently, Dave Ramsey and his wife, Sharon, flew down to visit. We all got to spend a day together. And I was at yahoofinance.com just now. I saw multiple news flashes from Dave and other people that you respect. And they're hitting so many of the hottest areas in finance today. So it's a place to get a snapshot of all aspects of your financial interests. And if you have them, your portfolios. I hadn't realized Yahoo Finance is the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. So for your comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. One more time. YahooFinance.com. I live high up in the Rocky Mountains where the air is clean and fresh as possible, but then I step indoors and I'm breathing in untold amounts of toxins and allergens from paint and carpet and cleaning chemicals and pets and furniture and appliances and mold and so on. Studies show the indoor air is two to five times more polluted than the outdoor air anywhere you are. And in some places it's a hundred times worse than that. Well, the solution is to get an air purifier and air doctor is just the best out there. It filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen and pet dander and dust mites and mold and even bacteria and viruses. So your lungs don't have to try to do that. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Go to airdoctorpro.com. You can use the promo code KEVIN, and depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to 300 bucks. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. So to get the special deal, go to AIR. D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O dot com. Use promo code Kevin. 
Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out or you're selling a million bucks of product already, Shopify is just the industry leader. It works the same for physical products or online and digital, and Shopify is just hands down the best out there. Most importantly, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. It's 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Getting people to buy is not that hard, at least to the buying point, but getting them to actually give their payment info is, and Shopify is king in that department. They also have top tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Kevin. Um, and those are as simple as changing your input, changing your circle of friends, getting out of your comfort zone, learning something new, being creative, uh, identifying why you do what you do every day. All simple things, all all easy to do, all easy not to do. I think uh, Darren Hardy's the one who kind of mm. coined that phrase. But the reality is, man, there's so much to live for. And yet we settle. And so what is it that you can do to, to break the status quo? What are you going to do right now, right at the end of this message on the podcast? What are you going to do right now that's going to break the status quo? And I would say, you know, as soon as the car stops, as soon as this quits, call, email, or text somebody and say, hey, we need to talk. And then have them hold you accountable to doing something different, to get out of the rut to make that decision to go to that next level, to transform your life. It's up to you. The decision is yours. You're the only one who can own your dreams. Well, there you go. And I think you just outlined the difference in the few who go from taking the inspiration that we all have access to through podcasts like this and blogs and books and so much inspiration, so much that inspires us, but the few that then end that book in that blog, in that podcast and say, what action can I take now that will be different to Tom Ziegler's statement of the fastest way to success? What, what, what good habit can I replace a bad habit with, man? That's, that's few and far between, but that's the beauty of the opportunity we all have, um, is we can be one of those, one of those few. And thanks to these sponsors for bringing us today's show. Uh, well, hey, Ralph here says number four is difficult for him. Number four says you're filled with faith, hope, and love and live without anger, greed, guilt, envy, or thoughts of revenge. Uh, he says it's the guilt part for him. I carry a lot of guilt around thinking it is always my fault for the problems others are having, and it is my responsibility to fix them. Well, Ralph, I got, I got, uh, I got confronted with that one myself years ago and uh, the loving person who did it said, and they didn't say it in a way that sat, that, that they meant it to be shameful or, uh, or, or super negative, but they said, that's a God complex. And that spoke to me that, yeah, I, I I'm, I, do I feel like I'm God that is up to me? I think uh, that's, that's a, that's, that's worry. That's anxiety. That is a, that's insanity. 
because I know, well, of course it's not up to me. I'm not that powerful. And yet that's how I was living, especially with my family and then people who I did business with. I felt like it is my responsibility to make sure nobody has hardship. Nobody has lack. Um, I'm going to do it all. And I fed my self image that way. Uh, that was my, my Superman complex, my God complex. And it's where I got some security, but it resulted ultimately often in, as you said, guilt, I took it as shame somewhat because there's no way I can do it all. I am not, I'm not Superman. I'm not God. Um, and so I, I feel you on that one. That is a heavy burden to bear. Don't you think Tom? I do. And it, you know, we keep talking about two chairs, but mm -hmm. gosh, the first three weeks of my two chairs, I kept getting the same message every day. Now, just to refresh two chairs is simply one chair for you, one chair for God. So I was sitting in one chair and I'd set up another chair for God, right? And I'm having this conversation with God. Do you know the situation? Are you big enough to handle it? And what's the plan, right? And the message I kept getting from God was, Tom, you're sitting in my chair. Wow. <laughs> it's like that God's my co-pilot. No, he's the yeah. pilot. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and then it reminds me, of man, we've got one responsibility really. And that's to speak God's truth and love. Yeah. The results are up to him, right? What people do with it, that's up to them. So you, you speak God's truth and love. You, you do the right thing the right way. And then man, the rest of what happens is that's up to everybody. You don't, we don't have control over that. Yeah. That's, and boy, that's a hard one though. Uh, but man, the guilt, somebody put that guilt on you. Somebody, um, usually what you'll, what you'll find when you dig in a little bit is that somebody made you responsible for their happiness. And that is completely unfair. Mm -hmm. That's unfair to you. And it's unfair to them because when somebody delegates their responsibility to their own happiness, they're going to be miserable their whole life. So give it back. That's a big one. Delegating that uh, happiness to someone else, that responsibility is a big statement. This is, I'm going to combine two here, Tom, Alice. She says, number two is the hard one for me. Now that's what you talked about. You've made friends with your past, are focused on the present and optimistic about your future. Um, and she said, I had a good friend who was a client of mine. Uh, the client treated me horribly and would not even consider the awesome offer that came in on the home. She's a realtor. She said twice. And instead of declining the offer, the client persisted to tell me what a horrible realtor I was and brought up ridiculous reasons. So ridiculous and so hateful that I believe the client's mentally unstable. I should have compassion on that person. And I'm struggling with forgiveness and acceptance and very, very hurt. Well, first Alice, I appreciate you sharing what's obviously that's an issue you're dealing with when you read this question and, and answered there. Um, I'm going to combine it real quick too. Mindy also, Mindy here says number 10, uh, is hard for her. And she said, you are pleasant to the grouch, courteous to the rude and generous to the needy. She said too often. I find that my attitude can change based on whether someone I meet is pleasant or rude, et cetera. And, and I combine those because they're both really relevant issues, of course, because there's real life things that happen where people are unfair. And I'm going to, Tom, I'm just going to say where we are victims. I mean, nobody wants to be a victim. And I think from the personal development world, 
uh, it's easy for me to say, Hey, nobody's a victim. You know, you, you're a victim if you choose to be or not. But in reality, there are things that happen to us that it's not our own doing. People can be harsh. Circumstances can be harsh and we can be a victim. And it's, and in that moment, it's not a sin to feel guilt, shame, anger, um, all those things. The issue is walking forward in it. And, and as Mandy talks about too often, my attitude can change based on whether someone I meet is pleasant or rude, et cetera, goes right back to what you just said a minute ago, giving the responsibility for your happiness, uh, away. And it's e- This is easy stuff to talk about. Well, it's like you talked about, well, no, maybe it's not easy. It's simple to talk about, right? But it's not, yeah. it's not easy to walk out. This is real world stuff that happens to us every day. And here we are, on our own, trying to figure out how do I walk forward, being pleasant to the grouch, the courteous to the rude, generous to the needy and dealing with a a moment where I may be a victim of something that's really hard. It is causing me time, money, um, and causing personal pain. This, this is where rubber hits the road. Yeah. You you know, I heard an example one time of a, of a gentleman holding the door for somebody and they got, they basically got yelled at, mm-hmm. you know, what you think I'm incapable of opening the door. Yeah. And the guy responded, Hey, I wasn't holding the door for you. I was holding the door for me. I was taught that this is what gentlemen do. Mm. <laughs> That's nothing to do with you. Nice. And, and so a lot of times it's almost like somebody comes up to you and they're giving you a thousand pound rock and they say, Hey, can you hold this for me? Well, we can't hold a thousand, nobody's strong enough to hold a thousand pound rock. So it'd be easy for us to say, no, I'm not going to hold that rock. Well, when they speak words that are rude and in condemnation and horrible, um, I think we have to have that mental image of, yeah, I'm just not going to accept the rock. You know, they they have something going on in their own head. They mm-hmm. don't know the situation. Uh, it's, that's another one that's, that's, uh, simple, but not easy. It's simple just to reject it, but it's not easy to, because we take it personally. One of the things that I think we need to realize is that when we, when we build friendships and when we do things, uh, it's not to be the winner of a popularity contest. It's to be a conduit of truth and love. Two different things. Um, that's why I don't like the word tolerance very much because tolerance means that we're in a risk-free situation. We're just going to tolerate whatever's going on, even though we know it's going to end up badly. Love says, uh, wait a second. Um, don't go over there. You know, it's dangerous over there. So love risks the relationship. And so if we're going to be a conduit of truth and love, then when we, are given things like a thousand pound rock that has nothing to do with that. It's perfectly fine for us to say, no, I'm, you know, I'm not going to take that. We respond with kindness and we move on. Uh, I'm, I'm a little confused though, uh, Kevin, because in there it says I had a good friend who was a client of mine mm-hmm. and I have, I have a lot of good friends and none of them would do that to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Yeah. Yeah. That that questions the good part. Um, Yeah. I would, I would, uh, I I would, I would question that there's a saying that's everywhere hurt people, hurt people. Yeah. I think it's many cases it's true. And I think that's what's happening here. It has nothing to do with you. 
Yeah. Uh, there's something else going on. I don't think they want to sell the house. Yes. Who knows? Who knows? Well, um, on the, here's Terry who says, number one, we haven't hit that one yet. You clearly understand what fa- that failure is an event, not a person that yesterday ended last night. And today is your brand new day. I can't read that line without hearing Zig's voice speak it because he did so so often. But Terry here says, I so badly want to live with contentment and be on top of everything in business and in life and stay in a contentment state. But it can take one email from an irate customer. My mind goes to the worst case scenario. Uh, I get, I got, I've got to work on these happiness and contentment stealers, or at least identify process, look at it empathetically and logically and deal with it. And then make sure they don't affect me for any time longer than is needed to deal with. Uh, I know I can't stop these issues, but I can control my reactions to them. Well, I, I sure understand that statement, but that last part here, I can't stop these issues, but I can control my reactions to them. I, I'm going to, I am going to take a little issue with that one, Tom. We just recently interviewed, uh, Ben Hardy, Benjamin Hardy, who wrote the book willpower doesn't work. And I'm feeling some willpower in there. And I understand it cause that's generally how I've addressed things. And Ben's book, it talks about, you know, we have a finite amount of willpower. Um, what we need to do is, is create circumstances and environment where we don't have to rely on willpower. And Terry, when you're talking about this, number one, uh, to, to really take I think into, to, to embrace the statement of understanding that failure is an event, not a person that yesterday ended last night. Today is a brand new day to me, Tom. And I want your take on it. It speaks to me of how, how am I, am I at peace with myself and, and my creator and my God, am I okay with me? It really a self image and somewhat of a self confidence aspect that I have to get to that, man, I'll have to tell you, because when I read that, I thought, yeah, it's like going down through your reviews, you know, the reviews, like your iTunes reviews or your, you know, your book reviews or whatever. And you get 50 that just say, I mean, this is the best thing since sliced bread. Then you get that one that says this is the dumbest thing I've ever read in my life. I, and I think that you're satanic and you're going straight to hell. I mean, everybody's gotten something that feels like that, whether or not they said it. And man, it, it just, it, it has mattered to me throughout the years, but over time and over time and over time, I've gotten better to where I don't have to grip my teeth and go, I'm not going to let it affect me. I'm not going to let it affect me. I know that that person is probably a, a hurting person that just needed somewhere to vent. They decided to do it then because it's, it's such a, a, the antithesis of all the testimony over here. And for us to have that place of self-confidence, peace within ourselves, to be able to take those things and not that we just brush them off and don't give them any credence at all. Cause maybe there's a little truth in there somewhere, but my goodness, um, that's uh that's one. I think, I don't think anybody, I think if you're totally immune to failure, uh, you're probably psychotic. I mean, it affects us all, but it's where are we in and of ourselves? Where's our self image, our peace. I, you know, that's, you know, dad had the big on react versus respond and mm-hmm. react as negative respond as positive. Uh, I, you know, I really had to struggle with this in sales and a lot of salespeople do because when you get told a no, and there's 20 ways you can get told a no, right? They never mm-hmm. call you back. They say, no, they say, leave me alone. Uh, they can be rude. Um, and that's, 
if you're in sales and you're just getting, that's like rejection, you know, that's like, they don't like me. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I finally got my head around it and realized, wait a second, they're not saying they don't like me. It's the offer. So that helped a little bit. And then I started doing the numbers and I realized, wait a second, uh, gee whiz, I need, I need seven no's on average to get a yes. Every no is one step closer to a yes. <laughs> And of course, we don't ever like to make mistakes. And when a customer, you know, has a complaint, um, you know, it's like I tell our team sometimes there are complaints that are unavoidable (laughs) because some people are just weird. And then there are complaints that are completely avoidable. And that's because we we messed up. But at the end of the day, I would rather have a thousand complaints from weird people than one complaint. Because weird people make up a tiny percentage of the population and a thousand complaints means we're doing a ton of business, right? <laughs> True. I mean, it's, and so we've got to look at it in that regard. Uh, and so what I've done when I get those and I get the Ziegler inbox on a regular basis and believe it or not, I mean, contrary to our podcast listeners belief, Kevin, we're not perfect around here. We occasionally make mistakes uh, and I hear about them. And I always, man, I address it. If it's an email personalized or whatever, uh, I will address it immediately. And I'll just say, oh, man, I know. Ex- I mean, I can understand how you feel that way. And and then I I, def- I, I start with defuse. And then if there's an answer I can give, I, I do it. And then I move on. Uh, but what I realize is that we need to fix it for the future. We need to defuse it. And if those two things aren't good enough, then the problem's no longer mine. I, I got to let it go. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, uh, when we get a bad review somewhere, uh, I don't even read them anymore. You know what I read for? Did, was it something we could control? Was it mm. bad sound? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's good. You know, and I will say, I mean, as we are talking to a an aspiring crowd of people, people who want to do something, people who are looking to progress in their lives to make a difference that I did learn long ago. If you stand for anything and if you really seek to serve and truly want to make a difference in anybody's life and and, and influence any group of people, you are going to set yourself up for some pot shots. Um, You're going to set yourself up. You're going to get, you're going to get some stones thrown at you. And I don't say that just, uh, I mean, you know, to, to a degree, we need to pay attention to some of those and see how is, is there any truth in there? Is there some, is there some things that we can, uh, that we need to adjust as, cause we always do, but my goodness, we have gotten to, again, I think a place where people are so insecure. They don't want to stand for something because they might get shot at. That's true. But the opposite is to stand for nothing. And who wants to be in that place? So I think to some degree, we've all got to find some peace with having some shots thrown at us uh, and, um, and, and be okay with that, to know it's, it's coming. And again, I don't mean that to say and just discount them 100%. Um, there can be a lot of learning in them as well, but be willing to do that. And that is, you know, that's something as we look at the new generations coming that kids, I think, are not learning very well at a young age how to deal with criticism. Um, they go through school. We're hearing that from corporations these days. They go coddled through school. Everybody gets a blue ribbon just for participating. And then they get into the workplace. And the first thing that goes wrong, they're told, hey, that that's not going to fly. 
and oh, they're, they're floored by it. And so we're hearing this from corporations. It's, uh, it's good. Even as I, as I'm parenting, uh, kids every day that they need to learn to be able to take criticism. And, uh, and I say that as one, it's not, it's not my greatest forte. It has not been over the years because I want to be Superman, right? <laughs> Of course. Of course. Of course. Well, hey, I'm going to end this uh, by doubling up two, two ladies here. Julie and Jennifer both pulled out number five, which again is you're mature enough to delay gratification, shift your focus from your rights to your responsibilities. Julie says, oddly enough, because I've always seen myself with adult eyes, even as a wee child, and I have a hard time letting go and having fun. So I, now I justify my procrastinations as self-pleasure and gifts. This steps towards, uh, this step starts to repeat itself into a cycle followed by guilt. I'm able to break the cycle eventually, but not before damage or lack of is done. And a wave of frustration overcomes me into a pit of self despair. Somehow the father helps me find a strand of hope through church, Bible, Christian radio, a Zig Ziglar broadcast. And I start over Well, Jennifer follows that saying again, number five, she says, I want instant results in all areas of my life. It's interesting that God has placed me in a new job that requires building a pipeline, being patient, doing daily work for delayed results. This applies to my physical health as well. This whole piece, Tom, of delaying gratification, um, you know, we know that, I think we tend to, to think of that more on a daily aspect that you, you delay the sweets till like in my family, we do sweets on S days. So if the kids are going to have anything with sugar or sweet, it's S days, Saturdays and Sundays, the rest of the time they don't. And that's a good delaying because they don't need to have that stuff every single day. And yet I've heard some really interesting feedback over the years on that as a, as a, as a culture, or maybe it's just as humans, we also tend to delay gratification in areas long-term that we may miss out on, meaning not as we go back and talk about gifts, talents, abilities, and doing the things that you're passionate about to where we don't do that. And then we retire and think, Hey, we're going to get to that point of really investing in that thing. And that's a delayed gratification. That sometimes doesn't pay off. And so delayed gratification is a, it's a, it can be a slippery slope, but in general, we're talking about discipline and talking about, yeah, putting off our rights. I have the right to go right now. I can have donuts for every meal. That is my right. I'm a grown man. I can do whatever I want. Uh, I would not be very responsible for the health and welfare of myself and therefore my family. But I don't know if there's, again, and this is, isn't this all of us? Is there any of us who would not rather just take part in our rights uh, as opposed to our responsibilities on a given day? That's, that's maturity. Absolutely. You know, I, I love Rabbi Daniel Lappin and he talks about in Hebrew, there is no word for rights. Hmm. There's only a word for responsibility, Wow, which is kind of an interesting thing. But then he says this, this is the, this is the kicker. He said, for example, every one of us has the responsibility to help someone else who has less than we have. And that's a bigger responsibility than that person's right, quote unquote, right to receive something. Hmm. And of course we live in the entitlement society, mm -hmm. uh, which is derived out of this concept of rights. And so when we start focusing on our responsibilities, that's, that's stronger. That is a voluntary uh, decision and it requires us to be the bigger person to do the, to do the funny, the responsible thing, which is the right thing, which is completely different than the right. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
that we have. Uh, Dad said that the number one reason that people don't achieve their goals that they should is because they trade most what they want for now, right? Mm -hmm. They trade what they want most for what they want now. And that's that whole aspect of delayed gratification. Um, Gosh, you know, it's, it's the it's understanding the difference between happiness and joy uh happiness is circumstantial and that's where instant gratification comes in because we're always seeking to be happy uh when what we really should be seeking is joy which doesn't matter the circumstances i know a lot of people who have great joy in their life and they're in the middle of battles that i would wish on no one mm-hmm as far as health or family situations and things like that. So when we can get focused on what joy is about and we can get focused on what our responsibilities are, then that's when, you know, we really have an impact. When we look at, we're, we're just coming through the 4th of July. Um, So I've been thinking about the founding fathers and in the original, it wasn't life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It was life, liberty, and the pursuit of virtue. Those wow. were the original words. And I guess the marketers got together on the, on the, on the Constitutional Committee, and, and they said, no, the pursuit of happiness is better than the pursuit of virtue. Yeah. Uh, but the understanding was real clear back then, and that was, if you live a virtuous life, happiness is going to be the fruit. And, and I think they had even a different understanding of the difference between happiness and joy. And so number five, when we understand that joy is our real goal and that being responsible for our virtues is what's going to get us there, then I think that really casts a good light on that one. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's more here, but, but we've gone long. These are significant issues and folks i am so grateful for everyone who took the time to share here it's a gift to me it's a gift to tom and to all of us who are listening to hear the real world uh issues that we're dealing with as we seek to progress as we seek to inspire our true performance always a gift to do these with you tom thanks for sharing your heart as well awesome you bet Well, there you go, friends. These are foundational issues right here. I'd encourage you again, listen to those 15 points from Zig. Or if you'd rather read them, I have them written out on my Facebook page. You can find me at Agent K, as in Kevin, Agent K Miller. uh, And you can get them there. I posted it. It's the July 3rd, 2018 post. Uh, And I invite you there to friend me as well. If you want, you can join these weekly discussions. If you got value from the show, please let us know and leave a review in iTunes. Feel free to mention this specific show. And thank you to all who have been doing that and mentioning specific guests or specific messages that you appreciated and putting that on iTunes. That helps us out a lot. Coming up next in show 593, we're back with executive coach Ed DaCosta. Uh, He was our guest in show 591. This time we go behind the scenes to get his personal habits for success following the seven spokes on the Ziegler Wheel of Life. I really appreciated his statement of, we create habits and they create us. I've probably repeated that multiple times since the conversation. You get a lot from it. Well, till then, thank you for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together 